as we step onto the scene of Scripture, we find ourselves with the Apostle Paul who is under house arrest in Rome. But Paul did not allow his present circumstances to overwhelm him or to prevent him from influencing the local churches that he had planted. How many times have we simply allowed our feelings, our emotional responses to keep us from moving forward in obedience to the will of God for our life? The church of Ephesus held a very special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul had spent about three years in Ephesus preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while there, he began to experience much fruit for his labor. People were getting saved. And the power of the Word of God was being seen. So much so, the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 and verse number 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. By the way, when the Word of God is proclaimed, when the Word of God is given an opportunity to work, it will always do as God sent it to do. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 and verse number 11, God says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. You see, as the Word of God uh, was uh, grew, it impacted the relationship and it impacted the culture around them so much so that the worshipers of the goddess Diana, who had a temple here in the town of Ephesus, got very upset with the Apostle Paul because of the transformation that was taking place in Ephesus. In anger, these worshipers of Diana ran the Apostle Paul out of town. Paul, having left Timothy behind to pastor the church of Ephesus, began to make his way on over into Greece where he would continue to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. While Paul was making his way back to Jerusalem, he had a desire to see the elders of the church of Ephesus. And so he paused in Miletus and sent word for the elders of Ephesus to meet him there in Miletus. During that meeting, Paul warned them that when he moved on, that there would be wolves that would creep into the assembly and try to persuade them to accept false doctrine and to move away from the truth of God. He then urged them simply to stay strong in the faith. And after a time of both prayer and tearful goodbyes, Apostle Paul left Miletus knowing that he would never see again the members of the church of Ephesus. It's been about two and a half years now since Paul last met with these people. Yet Paul finds himself still concerned about their condition. Most importantly, we find the Apostle Paul is concerned 
about their level of maturity. So Paul, while under house arrest, decides to utilize the only other means that he has left to impact these growing group, this growing group of believers. He picks up a quill, begins to pin the words that we call the book of Ephesians. Paul began the letter by expressing and by rejoicing not just in who God is, but in what God accomplished and had already done there in Ephesus. But, while Paul wanted them to enjoy their salvation, he also wanted them to accept the responsibility of salvation. Let me say this, whether you like it or not, as a Christian, there are some things that you are responsible for. You see, throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul, Paul encourages those who put their faith and trust in Christ to be grounded in their faith and to be growing. Look, look, it's it's an awesome thing to be a part of Christ and to be a part of His body, the church. But it is a satisfying thing to fulfill the very purpose for which God placed you there. Paul knew that these Christians over the next days and months and years would face very intense opposition, very direct persecution. But Paul also realized that these battles that they would go through, no matter how big and no matter how small they may be or may seem, they were simply a part of the purpose and aid to get us to our level of spiritual maturity. So Paul writes this letter. He encourages them to suit up. He encourages them to step up and to take their place on the line of battle. And then He encourages them to stand firm in the strength and in the power of the Lord no matter what may come their way. We pick up our reading this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, where Paul begins the conclusion of his letter by saying, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, had in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. If you're in the habit of marking things in the Word of God, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 11 and to verse number 13, where we find two phrases. Notice in verse number 11 this phrase. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And then verse number 13, where the Bible says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Two times, the Bible either says to put on or to take unto you the whole armor of God. Our thought this morning is simply this. Where's your gear? Where's your gear? One of the first things that you'll notice about the game of football is the major attempt that is taken to protect the body of the players. I know I've told you this before, but I never quite understood growing up how uh, my mom, and I love my mom to death, but I think sometimes her her conclusions and how she comes to a certain solution is 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 kind of flawed a little bit. You see, growing up, mom and mom and or my brother and I, we we always wanted to play football. I mean, we wanted it. We'd go out backyard and we'd play football. We'd come back bloodied and bruised. I mean, loved it. We wanted to play on the football team. Well, I wasn't always this this buff, masculine type of a guy. You know, this big, you know, bodybuilding type person here. As a kid, I was about the size of a twig. And because of what my dad went through in playing football in high school, broke bones and all of that, mom would not let my brother and I play football. But she wouldn't let us play soccer. (laughs) She was afraid in football that we would get hurt. Okay? Have you seen a football player? I mean, they are padded from head to toe. Have you seen a soccer player? That's it. And I was the goalie. The goalie. I mean, if anybody's going to get taken out, it's going to be the goalie. And so mom says, well, you can't play football because you might get hurt, but you can play soccer where you might die. come to football and they pad and pad and pad. 
I mean, think about it. When a football player begins to gear up, you, you have padding from a helmet to shoulder pads to gloves, and then they got cleats on their feet. They've got thigh pads and knee pads and mouth guards. There's neck rolls and elbow pads and hip pads and tailbone pads and rib pads and, well, other protective equipment. I mean, they're covered from head to toe and all in an effort to try to, to keep them safe, to give them the, the best possible opportunity to not only survive the battle, but to be better because of the equipment. It is the equipment manager's responsibility to take and to customize each piece of equipment to each individual player as to best maximize their effectiveness in their particular role while on the gridiron. Simply the player's responsibility to take the equipment that he has been provided to suit up and then allow it to strengthen him for his task. Now here's the reality. There's no difference in the life of a Christian. We have some equipment, some gear that in Christ it has been provided for the people of God. And our responsibility is not to try to design our own set of equipment, not to develop our own set of gears, but it is our responsibility to take what we have been given in Christ and to suit up and let the power and strength of God push us forward in our role and task here while on this earth. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 3 to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, a, a football team is just that. A team where each individual is equipped and then each individual is expected to serve their role in the best possible way they can. In this room, God has given you a purpose. And He has made available to you everything that you need to serve in that capacity well, but you have the responsibility to take and use what God has given you. In other words, if you just take and sit on your blessed assurance, you're of no use to the team. I'll take it a step farther and say this. You're even letting the team down because the team is depending on you. Listen to me. I'm not saying the team doesn't need you. Please don't take that as my statement. Because that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying the team needs you. And when you're not utilizing your equipment. And pushing forward in your specific role. It hurts the entire 
T. Church is a group of believers. And only together can we take and push against the forces of this world. The Bible says in verse number 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen to me. I'm not strong enough to stand against those things. You and I come together. That's why the Bible is so emphatic about there being unity amongst the people of God. Because when there's unity, there's the presence of God. And with the presence of God comes the power of God. And with the power of God can only come victory. My goal this morning is not to try to take and to identify and to explain every piece of equipment that God has given us that is shown here in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. We'll deal with those in our Sunday evening series. My goal this morning is for you to see how the equipment that God has made available should impact your life while you're on the battlefield. Let me highlight a few thoughts for you this morning. Notice first of all, a soldier is known by his identity. A soldier is known by his identity. Jay, let me ask you a question. I think it's the left side. What do you got on the left side of your uniform? Is it the left side or the right side? Right side there. What what kind of flag? What does that American flag identify you as? As an American soldier. Why is that important? Because when he's on the battlefield, he's in a group, he's in a unit, and they need to be able to identify him as an American soldier. Notice what verse 11 says. Put on... The whole armor, what's the next two words? Of God. Verse number 13. Take unto you, wherefore, take unto you the armor of whom? The armor of God. You see, even in that day when you would look at a Roman soldier, a soldier of some nation, I want you to understand that the gear, the equipment that they were provided and they used while on the battlefield, it was used to identify who they were. Say, preacher, how did this happen? Well, one way was that it identified him visibly. Visibly. He didn't have to say anything. All they had to do was look at him. If Jay was in uniform this morning, you could look at Jay and guess what you're going to say? He's an American soldier. And he doesn't have to say a word. Why? Because his gear identifies him as an American soldier. Let me say it this way. Every football team, since we're using the idea of the gridiron, Every football team is recognized by their colors. Miss Kim, orange and white. Who's that represent? Oh, she got it. Didn't even think about it. What about maroon and 
What's that other color? Orange. That's Virginia Tech Hokies. What about Navy and Columbia Blue? Patrick Henry High School. Yeah. Gotcha. You, you guys are going. What? Navy and gold. Emory and Henry. They're identified by their colors. So what you want to do this morning, right after service, I want you to come forward and we're going to paint you a certain color that identifies you as a child of God. Okay, no, no. When we talk about this from a spiritual aspect, we're not talking about being identified so much by our color as we are to be identified by our character. Look at the passage. He says here in uh, verse number 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with what? Truth. And having on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith. Preacher, what are those? Those are character traits that ought to be seen in every Christian's life. You ought to be known as a person of truth. Honesty, as I've said before, is not the best policy. Honesty is the only policy. It is not the best of. It is the only option to choose from. Especially for the people of God. We should be identified by truth. Righteousness. What does it mean? It simply means to do right. So when people look at you and I, our equipment, our gear should identify us visibly. Look, we shouldn't even have to say a word. Somebody ought to be able to look at us and say, yep, there's a Christian. Here's what I fear. I fear the only place that we're known as Christians is when we're in the church. Do people on the job site know that you're a Christian? Teenager, does people in the school system know that you're a Christian? Or are you ashamed to show your true colors? See, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and they're in this place of Ephesus where these worshipers of Diana are coming against them because people were getting saved and brought all out of that pagan religious lifestyle full of immorality and indecency and perversion. And they were being cleaned up. And they were beginning to live a life that wasn't only decent and moral, but it was a life that was pleasing to God. See, a soldier, a Christian soldier, is identified by uh, his gear, his equipment. So there's the visible aspect. And secondly, not only is there a visible aspect, but there is a vocal aspect. He wasn't just identified visibly, but he was identified vocally. Vocally. What do I mean by that? Listen, a Roman soldier was a Roman soldier, and a Roman soldier was proud of it. Was proud of it. Have no doubt in my mind. Jay's proud to be an American soldier. And if you ask him, I bet he's really proud to tell you about it. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying, hey, 
He's been trained. He knows what he's doing. And he is proud, though at times his nation doesn't go the right direction. He's proud to be an American soldier. That was the same way with a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier would boast his, his, he would, would pride himself in being a servant, a, a soldier, and would use it to his advantage. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. As a Christian, we ought to be able to vocally identify ourselves as the people of God. How many today will stand and say, hey, I'm a child of God's. I serve the King of Kings. I am a born again child of God. And I don't care who hears me say it. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God and the salvation. I say today what we don't need is people who are ashamed to be the child of Christ. Second Timothy 1 and verse number 8 says this, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What are you saying? I'm saying that a soldier is known by his identity. And as a soldier of Christ, they ought to see Christ in us. Ought to see Him. How we conduct ourselves. Ought to hear Him. And how we communicate. But notice thirdly, not only was He identified visibly, not only was He identified vocally, I couldn't find another V, so it's going to have to be different. He was identified by his documentation. You find a V word and come back to me with that one. (laughs) I looked. It ain't there. His documentation. Preacher, what in the world are you talking about? Well, every Roman soldier around his neck, he wore something that was called a signaculum. A signaculum. Anybody know what a signaculum was? Anybody know what maybe the, the equivalent to today's military would be? Here's a dog tag. It was this leather pouch that was wore around the neck that contained inside of it a, a piece of lead that had some identity, identifiable markers on it. Maybe some medical information. But it was called a signaculum. And it was that documentation that identified that person as a Roman soldier. Much like our military wears dog tags. And those dog tags take and identifies them as an American soldier. It has other things on there. But it identifies who they are and whose team they're on. I say again, you and I as Christians don't necessarily wear a signaculum around our neck or we don't wear Christian dog tags, okay? But I'll say this, there's some documentation that ought to be known. The Bible talks about the Lamb's Book of Life. The reality is, if your name is not written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, then you're not one of His children. Bible tells us over in the book of Revelation, Revelation in chapter number 20, verse number 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. May I say this? There is a book of life, and your name is written down in the book of life when you put your faith and trust in the Son of God. You can't be a member of the body of Christ. 
true member of the church unless you know Christ as your Savior. But friend, I'm here to tell you that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can accept Him by faith today. Have that documentation that says, I indeed am a child of God. From that moment, a transformation work begins to take place that brings you to a visible representation of Christ and hopefully the point where you're vocally identifying yourself as a child of God and not ashamed of the things of God. You see, a soldier is known by his identity. Quickly, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Secondly, a soldier is known by his weaponry. He isn't just known by his identity, but he is known by his weaponry. Now here's the reality. When you would go against a battle, when you would go against an army, there were people who were equipped to do certain things. You had those who were experts in the use of the spear. You had those who were experts in the use of the sword. You had those who were experts in the use of the bow and arrow. You had those who were experts when it came to the use of the catapult. You had those who were experts when it came to using the ram. You had those who were experts. Do you get the idea? Just like on a football team. You have those individuals that are experts at throwing the ball. You have those who are experts on receiving the ball. You have those who are experts on running the ball. You have those who are experts on defending and holding the line. I mean, you even have a guy on the team that all he does is kick the ball. That's all he does. But he's an expert at it. Picture what he said. On a general basis, you don't want to put the punter in as your quarterback. And you don't want to put your quarterback in as your lineman. Why? Because that's not their role. That's not what they are equipped to do. So what do you do? You put them where they're equipped to be. Now when you go through the armor that is mentioned here in in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we find that these are things that are available to all of the Christians, all of the people of God. We all have access to these things. But the question is, are you an expert using it? We talk about the Word of God. You know how to use the Word of God? We find that when you study through the armor of the believer that there is no, there's no uh, shield or there's no guard in the back except for prayer that you find right after the armor is given. You say, why is that? Because the people of God aren't supposed to be retreating from the enemy. They stand firm with their gear, with their equipment, and the prayer of the saints stand behind them and give them the strength that they need to press forward. Here's what I'm saying. A soldier was known by their weaponry because they had the skill to wield it. How skilled are we in the use of the equipment that God gives us here in Ephesians chapter 6? We find that a soldier is identified by, or is known by his identity. A soldier is known by his weaponry. I want you to see thirdly here that a soldier is known by his camaraderie. His camaraderie. I always love to talk about the shield. I know I've used this before, but it's so fitting. The shield that is discussed there is the Roman shield and 
on one side, at the top and the bottom, was a hook. Top and the bottom had a hook. On the other side, on the top and the bottom, was a ring. And what they were able to do, as the Roman soldiers would line up, they would take that hook on the one side, and they would attach it to the ring of the soldier next to them. And so on and so forth. So, shield attached, ring, uh, hook to ring, hook to ring, hook to ring, hook to ring. And together, they would form a wall. And then what they would do in order to offset uh, and throw off uh, the balance of their enemy, they would get in tight, they'd hook those shields, and they would dig in and they would charge forward to the enemy. And then at varied spaces, they would begin to give just a brief of a second opening between the two shields where a trained soldier would reach forward with that sword and stab their enemy who was now blocked on the other side of the wall. Ingenious way to work. But when one of the soldiers went down, what happened? You had a hole in the wall. You now had a vulnerability. You see, here's the thing. When a Roman soldier stood shoulder to shoulder with a fellow Roman soldier, it didn't matter if he liked them or not, they were going to stand as one and fight. I'm saying the people of faith are identified as the same way. Well, preacher, I won't be at church because so-and-so's there. Can I tell you what you're doing? You're creating a vulnerability. Well, preacher, I'm hurt. Hey, they're a part of the family of God just like you are. They ain't perfect and you're not either. We're in a battle and we stand together and we need to lock arms side by side and charge forward into enemy territory. Listen to me. Little, petty, insignificant nothings can create so much distraction and disruption in the body of Christ that can make the church so weak that nothing can be accomplished for the Lord. That's why our soldiers are taken through training. they got to go through it together. You say what? So they learn whether they like somebody or not doesn't matter. That's your battle, buddy. Isn't it? And when the battle comes, what do you do? You set your differences aside. You realize you're on the same team. And you work together to accomplish that purpose, that task, at that specific time. Well, listen to me. It has yet been told what God could do through a group of individuals who could just come together, be responsible for their part of the task, and move forward together the body of Christ. A soldier was known by his identity. A soldier was known by his weapon. A soldier was known uh, by his uh, camaraderie. But notice a fourth thought. A soldier was known by his tenacity. His tenacity. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. He didn't give up the battle. Though. He didn't stop fighting. Preacher, I'm tired. Suck it up. Can I say that? I don't know if I say that or not. 
Preacher, I'm wore out. Good. That means you're doing something. Preacher, I don't think I can go any farther. Hey, you know what? That's why I'm here. Come on. You can do it. Keep going. Yeah. Kind of like when you're at the gym and you're lifting weights and the guy's telling you to go one more time. You're like, I just can't do it. And he's going back. I don't care. Do it. Push it. Get over it. You can do one more. All right, now give me another one. Give me another one. Give me another one. Go, 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 go. Say when the body of Christ comes together, we realize, hey, the struggles and the vows of life are going to come. That's part of living. But the people of God, they love each other so much, or they ought to, that when things get tough, they turn and say, hey, just hold the line. Just keep pushing. Just stay where you're at. Dig in a little bit deeper. Take another step forward. We can do this together. It's an aspect. It's not just on the part of one person. It's on the part of each and every Individual. You see, our thought the first week was, where are you? The team will not be successful if the team doesn't show up. But just like the team won't be successful if the team doesn't show up, the team won't be successful if the team doesn't show up suited up in the gear that God's given. With the knowledge of how to use the equipment they've been given who's been trained and skilled in the use of the Word of God, in the use of faith, in the use of prayer, to push back against the obstacles of life. So preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I know this. When you stand together with the family and people of God, there's more strength and power behind your stance. James Chester, can I get you guys to come here? Rick, can I get you to come here? I just want to demonstrate Go back to. <laughs> Go ahead and stand right here. Chester here and James here. And Rick will get you to stand just a little bit apart. Right? That's my team. Yeah. Larry, Curly, and Mo. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I got Curly back there, didn't I? All right. Here's what I'm saying. Just like the Roman soldiers took their shields. And we lock up and we get ready. Come on, you go hold your stance that way. Let's get ready, man. Bring it on. Bring it on. I may get hit, but you know what? I got my buddies. They may get hit, they got us. And when we're where we're supposed to be and we're geared up, ain't nothing the devil can do against us. May I say that's what we need to be as the people of God. Think of it. Where's the gear? Where's your gear? My challenge is simple. God's given it. And you can find it right here. It's time to suit up, to step up, take your place on the line, stand firm. You've got to have your gear on.